We are now in the home stretch. Today is the final mile marker in our journey through the Old Testament. By the end of the summer, we will get to the New Testament and the fertile and familiar stories of Jesus. But to get there, we have to journey through the prophets. For many of us, this section from Isaiah to Malachi goes widely unread and is largely unfamiliar. You know, that's too bad since it comprises a third of the entire Bible. Its messages are as powerful and poetic as they come in the Bible. And while we may get discouraged or derailed by the strange names and places and references in the prophets, their message is timely and relevant. They come to us at just the right time. It's appropriate for us to begin our journey through the prophets on 4th of July weekend from a time when we celebrate the birth of their nation and what it means to be a citizen of this country, we remember that the prophets first came onto the scene as a result of the birth of political and national institutions. The prophets give us a message that we need to hear about the relationship between the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdom of God. If you haven't yet listened to our latest Bible Project podcast, Listen to the interview with Annie Norman Schiff, a Jewish scholar at Yale. She reminds us that the prophets first came onto the scene at a particular moment in Israelite history. Remember, there were no prophets in Genesis or Exodus. We don't read about prophets in Joshua or Judges. When is the first time we hear the word prophet in the Bible? Well, it's at the exact same time we first hear the word prophet king. When the Israelites crowned their very first king in the person of Saul, God had sent them the very first check and balance to that king in the prophet Samuel. And every Israelite king from that point on would have a prophet as a counterpart to keep them in line. David would have Nathan call him out on his affair and his murder. Ahab would have Elijah and Elisha to call out his evil and his wickedness. Every king that we read about in the Bible had a divine counterpart to speak on God's behalf and keep them in line. So by the time we get to Isaiah, the prophets have taken center stage. And all throughout these texts that we will read over the next several weeks, we will hear this message. God is concerned with the issues of our day. God has a message for the political kingdoms and the social realities that people are facing. And God has chosen to be involved in real time, real matters. You never would have heard a prophet in the Bible say that they shouldn't comment on politics. You never would have heard a prophet say that God is only interested in spiritual matters instead of economic equality and social justice. The very existence of the prophets arose because God called messengers to speak directly into the political realities of their time. They were the check and balance against human institutions of power and against the systems of oppression and injustice that often came as a result. And that's our calling as well. The great 20th century theologian Karl Barth is famously known to have said that when he prayed, he had the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I think that's what it meant to be a prophet. 
It's to recognize that to be a follower of God does not mean being separated from the realities of the world, but to be engaged in them. I mean, just just take a look at how the book of Isaiah opens. It's filled with political and social commentary (laughs) right out of the gate. Isaiah says in the first chapter, how the faithful city has become a whore. She that was full of justice and righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your wine is mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not defend the orphan and the widow's cause does not come before them. I mean, in case you're keeping track, that is six indictments against the political realities of Isaiah's time in just three verses in the opening chapter. A failure to ensure public safety, a lack of financial integrity, no consumer protection like watered-down wine, dishonest government, an unfair administration of justice and lack of protection, and the voiceless and the powerless, all in the three verses of the first chapter. It's as if Isaiah were copied and pasted from today's news outlets, and his indictments were not just about his home country, it's about every country in the world. The first five chapters of Isaiah run the gamut of accusations against every major empire. Assyria, Babylon, Moab, Damascus, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, virtually every nation has been ravaged by sinfulness and disobedience and caused harm to its people. And the prophets spoke against them because that's what the prophets did. They offer incisive commentary on the problems of their day. In a way, this section on the prophets is the closest the Bible comes to an op-ed section, except these prophets aren't just offering their opinions. They are called to give God's opinion on the troubles of their time and the people that have caused them. I mean, it's true that as we read through these texts over the next several weeks, it will be easy to get distracted and confused by the strange names and places. So in those moments, we might simply imagine to whom the prophets would be speaking if they were alive today. What nations would they be condemning? What social issues would they be lifting up? What indictments would they levy against our political leaders and even against ourselves? In other words, what might it mean to pray with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other? There's nothing in these prophetic passages that would suggest that the people of God should be silent about political and social issues. As you read through them, you can hear their voices calling out to us across the millennia, saying to us, church, don't be silent about politics. Don't be silent about social issues. Don't just spiritualize every problem you're facing because God is interested in peace and justice and obedience to God's kingdom. You know what? These prophets would also make a distinction between engaging in politics and being partisan. There is nothing in these biblical texts to suggest that the prophets would have endorsed one political candidate over another or been part of one major political party. In fact, they would likely indict political parties and partisanship as being part of the institutional problem. The fact that the prophets were called to be politically engaged without being partisan 
can be a good guide for us. And it all begins with Isaiah, the first of the major prophets, and he has a lot to say. But what makes him especially interesting is the way that God called him into the job in the first place, for it's here in chapter 6 that we discover that God is calling us in much the same way. As chapter 6 unfolds, we see an unmistakable worship setting. Isaiah is not only in the temple when it happens, but he has a vision for worship unlike anything he had ever seen. He sees the heavens open up and he is lifted into an intimate encounter with God, sitting on a throne high and lifted up, surrounded by heavenly beings, all praising God with the very same words that we speak when we encounter the divine through the communion liturgy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is all to say that for Isaiah, worship was never about giving him what he wanted. It was about giving God all that he had. When we gather to worship, either virtually online or eventually in person, we should never evaluate worship by whether it satisfies our needs, whether it does it for us, or whether it matched our preferences. Worship is not about what it does for us, but about what it asks of us. I once heard that participating in worship is a, quote, dress rehearsal for heaven. Worship is about responding to what God summons of us to make heaven a reality here and now. And when we worship together, we ought to be asking the question, what is it that God is calling on me to change and to do in order for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? And when Isaiah heard that call, he responded much like you and I would, with profound humility, like God had made a mistake and, and should have chosen someone else, more qualified, more courageous, less fearful, more capable. He said, woe is me, for I am a person of unclean lips. I am part of the very problem that God is calling me to address. I am unclean. I, I am a racist I thrive on inequality. I like my privilege. I prefer comfort over sacrifice. I am in it for myself. And then he said, I live among a people of unclean lips. I live among people who are broken and a society that is filled with systemic injustice. Addressing the political and social injustices of our day is hard work. And with great humility and honesty, we might say that we are not up to the job. But when we worship, we experience the hot coal of God's grace and power touching our unclean lips and our sinful hearts, and we are consecrated for the task at hand. On this 4th of July weekend, we celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation, and we are grateful for the blessing it provides. But we hear the call to be a prophet, to speak up and address the injustices of our day, to exercise our rights to free speech, to gather and assemble and protest, to write our elected officials and speak into the public arena with civility and conviction, to practice the right to vote, to work toward the vision that's in our Constitution's preamble to form a more perfect union. The fourth verse of America the Beautiful has long been my favorite. Once we get past the beautiful pictures of purple mountains and fruited plains, we get to a verse that honestly confesses the flaws of our nation 
And then the spirit of the prophets lifts up a vision for how it can be better. Oh, beautiful for patriot dream that sees beyond the years. Thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. America, America, God mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty and law. May the voice of the prophet Isaiah summon within each one of us a calling and a conviction to be part of God's work to mend the flaws of our day. And in those moments when we feel weak or scared to do so, may we feel the hot touch of God's grace and power on our lips that we might respond just as Isaiah did. Here I am, send me. Let's pray. God, you sent us your prophets to speak into the realities and difficulties of our time. Give us a witness that is bold and courageous, that the world may experience your salvation and the work of justice in our day. Holy, holy, holy Lord, the earth is full of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.